A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. <laughs> Kia ora, everybody. I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. In this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Bianca, and Bianca takes us through her pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey with her daughter Rory, who is now three months old. Bianca talks us through lots of different things that we haven't spent a lot of time focusing um, on on the podcast so far, which is really awesome. We talk about uh, her pregnancy journey, what it was like trying to fall pregnant, a few complications that she had in her first trimester that meant she sort of struggled to bond with her pregnancy, uh, how she wanted her birth to go, a really positive, beautiful induction story, and then we focus quite a lot on the fourth trimester in today's episode. So if you can't tell um, by the way that Bianca speaks, she's really passionate about sharing her experience with the fourth trimester and thinks this is something we should talk about a whole lot more, which I definitely agree with. Yeah, so I'm just really grateful that Bianca was willing to come on the podcast and share her stories with us, and I hope that you love this episode. I would love to hear your feedback. If you want to send me an email, you can do that, or pop me a message on Instagram at KiwiBirthTales, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would absolutely love if you could leave me a review um, and a star rating. It helps other people find the podcast, and I love hearing from you. Awesome. Let's jump into the episode. Hi, Bianca. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who's in your family? So I'm Bianca. I am married to Liam. We live in Whangarei in Northland. And we have one little girl, Rory, and she has just turned three months old yesterday. Awesome. Very cool. And do you want to talk us through what the journey was like to pregnancy for you? Yep. Um, so we got married four years ago um, and we tried for a year after we got married and had no success. So we decided to park it um, and we went to Queenstown for a bit of a, like a working holiday for I think 14 months we lived down there. And then when we came home in November 2019, we decided we'd start trying again. Um, And it actually took lockdown. I think (laughs) my body probably needed the rest and the break that lockdown provided. And yeah, we were one of the lockdown babies. First week of lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so were you tracking your cycles over that period of time when you were trying or what sort of things were you doing? Yeah, um, so I was using an app and the ovulation stick. So yeah. I was really lucky. I had a really regular 28-day cycle um, and the ovulation sticks always picked up around the same time. Um, my progesterone levels were low. So just before we conceived, my GP was actually looking at putting me on progesterone cream, but I was really right. not that 
eager to go down that path. Um, and then lockdown happened, so I couldn't see my doctor, mm-hmm. and I ended up getting pregnant anyway. So it was yeah. exciting, yeah, and a relief. Yeah, yeah, awesome, cool. And how did you find out that you were pregnant? Did you have uh, early symptoms like missing a period, or did you just take a test, or how did that all happen? Uh, because we were trying, I was so I'm pretty in tune with my body. I haven't been on contraception for six years, so I've just been doing yeah. natural tracking. Um, so I knew sort of what my body did in a cycle and this cycle I had spotting six days before my period was due, which I've never had. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's weird. Um, and then I started to get lower back cramp and sore boobs, which again, <laughs> aren't normal symptoms for me. Um, and I took a test six days before my period was due and it was negative, but I knew that that was quite mm-hmm. early to take a test. Uh, but I found out at three weeks and five days, so even before I was four weeks, that I was pregnant through like a very faint positive pregnancy test. Yeah, wow. And how were you feeling when you saw that positive um, result come up? I literally lay in bed for like an hour and just blinked at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just um, disbelief. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And how were you feeling um, in the rest of that first trimester? So you mentioned the sort of sore boobs. Did that continue? And did you have other um, symptoms pop up in that first trimester? Yeah. Um, So I got nailed with food aversions. So I just went off everything. And yeah, it it sucked because it was level four lockdown. So we had to cook for that whole six or seven (laughs) weeks. So I couldn't have McDonald's or any takeaways or anything like that so I just lived on like toast and Mm -hmm. macaroni cheese so much macaroni cheese yeah um and I had quite a bit of bleeding in my first trimester um which was quite scary Mm. and when I was I think I might have been six weeks pregnant I had like quite a heavy bleed um, called my midwife and she said to go into the hospital. So that was during level four as well. So Liam wasn't allowed to come in with me, but they ended up yeah. letting him in. Um, and there wasn't the right people on to scan me, so they couldn't actually check whether the baby was mm. okay. And that was on a Friday, so I had to wait over the weekend until mm. I went in for a scan on the Monday and again had to go by myself because it was level four a scan on the Monday to check whether everything was okay. Um, and in that scan, they found I had a subchorionic hematoma. And so right. I bled until I was about 14 weeks, I think. Yeah. And so did they explain to you what that meant? I guess for the listeners who've never heard of that term before, do you want to talk to us about what that is? Yeah. So it's, it's like a pool of blood um, that sits in your uterus um, yeah. and it can either – so I think it depends on the positioning of it and the size as to how big of a risk it is to the pregnancy. Yeah. Um, they didn't seem too concerned about mine, but it was obviously really hard to relax into my pregnancy mm. for that time when you've got bleeding because yeah. all you hear about bleeding when you, when you hear about pregnancy is miscarriage. Mm. I'd never heard about people having bleeding and having successful outcomes. Yeah. Um, but either your body generally absorbs it or 
sort of bleeds out the hematoma right. and it settles. Yeah. And how did you feel as you moved throughout your pregnancy? Did you do all of the standard testing that's offered in New Zealand and did you end up finding out the sex of your baby? Yes. Um, yep. I was really keen to do the nip testing, um, but my husband <laughs> yeah. talked me out of it. So we waited <laughs> until the 20 weeks um, and found out that she was a girl, which I was super excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, we, yeah, we did the 12 week test. I had a few scans because of the bleeding. Um, yeah. So I think I had sort of four scans before my 20 week scan. And then I ended up having growth scans towards the end, the end of the pregnancy as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. And were you just under the care of a midwife or because of the hematoma, did you have to be under the care of an obstetrician? How did that work? Um, just my midwife. Yeah. She was amazing. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. And how were you sort of feeling as your pregnancy progressed? Did you have many other symptoms that popped up and how were you feeling sort of mentally? Yep. Um, So I found that the bleeding sort of triggered anxiety and a bit of a Mm. disconnect for me. Yeah. Um, Because for so long, I just kind of expected that it wasn't going to end well. I found it really hard to shift into like settling into the fact that everything Mm. was okay. My pregnancy was going to be fine. The baby is fine. Um, So I think I put some walls up in the first trimester that carried through my pregnancy in terms of bonding with the pregnancy and Rory before she was born. And I had a bit of an issue with my tailbone. I think just because of how she was sitting, I had quite a bit of tailbone pain and ended up finishing work a bit earlier than I expected um, just because I was at a desk job and sitting down just became really (laughs) uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Cool. And did you do any like antenatal classes or birth education um, before your labour? Yeah. Um, So I did antenatal, um, but I was super passionate about birth. Like I was pretty driven to give myself the best experience that I could. So I did quite a bit of reading. I really liked the Ina May Gaskin book. Yeah. um, And read some hypnobirthing books as well. Um, and I found that those helped with my mindset a lot more than the antenatal. I think the antenatal yeah. was really good for Liam, though. Yeah. Um, just because the partners obviously don't live the pregnancy and they're not the ones that are doing birth research and <laughs> things like that. So it was good for him to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And did you have much of a birth plan or sort of thoughts on how you wanted your birth to go? Yeah. Um, so I didn't do a plan. Uh, I just had preferences. I Yeah. I just wanted to focus on what I could control. Um, Mm. So I had a really nice birth playlist with music that I listen to sort of most days that I know that I associate with feeling good and safe and happy. Um, I had essential oils. Um, I had Liam and both our mums in the room. And I wanted to have a natural birth, but I also wasn't like I just wanted me and the baby to both be okay so I was open to whatever happened and whatever I needed really yeah yeah awesome cool and did you do anything in preparation for birth like 
perennial massage or antenatal expressing or you know there's so many things that that people will tell you to do so did you do any of that before your labor um I did the perennial massage like literally three times and found it uncomfortable (laughs) I laugh at that now (laughs) so that I only did it about three times and then that was it um but I was having acupuncture and chiro and cranial sessions every week just to prep for birth and I think that played like quite a big part in how my birth went yeah yeah nice cool awesome and did your labor end up starting spontaneously how far along were you and do you want to talk us through yeah the start of your labor yeah um so I was induced um I had had quite a few periods where she had been quiet so I'd gone into the hospital a few times for monitoring. Um, and also I was, my fundal measurement was measuring quite small. Yeah. Um, so they decided to induce me at 40 plus six. Um, and I went into the hospital first thing in the morning, so 7.30 and had the gel at about eight. Um, and then I was quite lucky. My friend lives right next to the hospital. So I was able to go to her house and just like my other friend came over and she made mashed eggs and we sat and watched the Kardashians <laughs> and I bounced on the Swiss ball and could feel that I was starting to get contractions, but they were nothing. They weren't painful. Um, yeah. And they were pretty spaced. But at about 12.30, I was thinking that I should probably go back to the hospital, have a rest, because I knew my midwife was coming back at about 2.30. Um, so I went back to the hospital and managed to nap between time and contractions. And they were starting to get quite regular at that stage, but they still weren't anything that, anything hard. They were still quite comfortable. Yeah. Um, but I started practicing my hypnobirthing breathing at that point, just while I was in a good mind space to be able to get into the rhythm. Mm. Um, and then my midwife turned up at 2.30 and she broke my waters and I immediately went from three to five centimetres <laughs> dilated. Yeah. Um, and things ramped up quite quickly from there. I was lucky. I managed to avoid having cytosin. Um, although they did slow at one point and she said, if they continue to slow, you're going to need some cytosin. So I think that gave me a bit of a, a, not a fright, but a bit of a ramp up. Like I need to get this moving. So I got in the shower and she showed me, um, sort of like a low hip sway to do to get Rory's head moving against my cervix to get things moving along. Um, and like I was really in, enjoying the contractions. I don't know if enjoying, but I was I was just in such a good zone. Um, was just listening to music and doing my breathing, and then I remember coming out of the shower at about three forty-five, and Anne had said to Liam, and Liam had told me that we would likely have a baby at eight p.m. And I remember at 3.45 looking at the clock and being like, oh, there's no way that this is going to be over in four hours. Um, and so I decided to, I was feeling quite tired by that point. And so I decided I'd have a, a lie down. So I just lay on the bed on my side and Liam had a heat pack 
against my back through the contractions and I was still just completely in my zone, completely silent, just doing my breathing. Um, and I'd figured out in my head that with my breathing, I was doing four seconds in and six seconds out. Yeah. And my contractions were between four and five breaths long. So I knew that once I got to the end of my second breath, that I'd got over the worst of it. And the next two or three breaths were just the, um, the downwards peak of the contraction. And I found that yeah. made the contraction so doable. Mm. Um, and then my midwife checked me and I was seven centimetres. Um, and so she was quite happy. I think Liam went and got something to eat. Mum subbed in. So I just wanted mm. mum and Kush, sorry, mum and my mother-in-law there to just hold space like I didn't need them to be involved or um so they just sat in the corner and knitted and chatted which is what what I wanted (laughs) just to give it that sort of homely feel yeah nice um and so mum subbed in for Liam and then Rory's heart rate started dropping And this was one of my, probably my only fear going into birth is that something would happen Mm. during birth to Rory. And I think that stemmed from the pregnancy. Yeah. Um, But when it happened, I found myself, like I was just really calm and I just knew that she was going to come out okay. That, Mm. yeah. And so the obstetrician talked to my midwife about putting a head clamp on, but when my midwife checked me, um, I was 10 centimetres and as soon as she'd finished checking <laughs> me, my body did like the automatic push at the end yeah. of my contraction. Yeah. And I found the pushing really full on just because I'd been so in the zone with the contractions mm. and sort of knew what to expect. And then the pushing came out of nowhere. Um, and so... I think Liam found it quite full on as well. He ended up flaking. <laughs> so I was glad that his mum was there at that point. So yeah. she was busy with the cold flannel and the scorched almonds looking after Liam. And <laughs> Poor Liam. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and mum subbed in for him for the pushing. And yeah. Rory was born 14 minutes later. So between being 10 centimetres oh, wow. and her being out was 14 minutes. Yeah, and how did you feel, like, could you really feel her moving down as she progressed through your birth canal? Like, what was that sort of feeling yes. like? Oh, it was the craziest feeling. Um, yeah. I feel like you can almost feel your bones shifting <laughs> as they come down, and it just went yeah. It went against all my instinct was to not, was to obviously, like, retract from the pain, yeah. but... So I'm glad that my midwife and mum were both sort of coaching me through the pushing because my body was pushing, but obviously I needed to do a bit of my own yeah. pushing as well. Um, and so having to push through that pain is, yeah, it's a real mental thing. But I think that was probably the most intense or painful part for me. Yeah, Like once I got yeah. to 10 centimetres, I said is that all labour was because I didn't, (laughs) I know, which is, I was really scared to say that because I was like, you're going to jinx yourself if you say this. Um, But because I found the contractions okay, I was quite 
like taken aback by mm. how different the pushing stage was. Yeah. And I think because it was so quick as well, I didn't really have time to process it. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And so did you like, push her out sort of quite quickly in, in one contraction or did it take um, a couple of contractions for her to come out? So I think it might've been about four contractions. Um, yeah. Four or five maybe. And I got her head, compl- oh, sorry, her head was half out. And then with the next contraction, like her whole body came out. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And what sort of position were you in um, when you gave birth to her? Yeah. So that, so I, one of my things was I'm not going to birth on my back, especially <laughs> with my tailbone, my chiropractor yeah. and my midwife had said, um, you'll be fine in birth. Just don't birth on your back. And because it happened so quickly, my midwife was checking me. It went from being checked to pushing her out in like 20, like in seconds. So I didn't have time to switch positions and yeah, ended up birthing on my back on the bed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And so did they pop her up on your chest straight away when she was born or what happened from there? Yeah. um, Yeah. So she came out and she was did her cry she she was wide awake like just looked straight at me and she got plopped on my chest um and I feel like I was in shock because it happened so quickly Mm. and I just I don't think I thought that things were going to be okay throughout the whole time so I just I couldn't believe that she was there and that it had gone fine and she was fine yeah and that pregnancy was over really yeah 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 yeah, for sure and did you have any um tearing at all from your birth yes um I had a second degree tear and a labial tear yeah and do you want to talk us through um I guess what they did about that and what a labial tear means for those who might not know yep um so I got stitched for both tears um and the labial tear I think ran along my left labia right up to my clitoris so yeah after birth I think that was I think that was worse than birth having local <laughs> anesthetic in your clitoris yeah. is next level you know, it makes me feel sad <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um I yeah I found the stitching worse than birth I think because you're out of your zone as well yeah. um yeah. and your adrenaline's all gone and yeah yeah the stitching was not fun yeah, yeah. And so did just your midwife do that or how did that work? Um, She ended up getting a hospital midwife who had worked in the UK. So it had done a heap of stitching just because of yeah, where yeah. the tear was. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And so what happened um, from there after they did your stitches? Did you sort of just spend some time with Rory or did you get to have a shower or what were the sort of next couple of hours like? Yep. Um, so I had her on the 30th of December. Um, so my sisters were at Rhythm and Alps and had been trying to <laughs> drunkenly FaceTime the entire labor. Lucky oh I didn't gosh. have my phone. And mum and Liam had just been busy declining their calls. But I think we videoed, we accepted a video call from them about, I think it was eight minutes after she was born. <laughs> and they were just sobbing down the phone. So that was, yeah, yeah that was funny. Um, yeah. and we had skin on skin and she fed within, I think the first half an hour. 
and yeah. Liam cut the cord. Um, my midwife showed me through the placenta, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, and then Liam took her while I was getting stitched. And, yeah, the first shower was amazing, like the best shower yeah. of my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cool. And how long did you end up spending there before you were able to go home? Uh, so we just stayed the one night and left at about 6 o'clock the next – 6 p.m. the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So she was born at 8 o'clock at night and, we yeah, we left 6 p.m. the next day. Yeah. Nice, awesome. And how did you find going home from the hospital with your new baby and this just totally crazy new um, yeah. experience? How did you find the next couple of days? Um, I feel like I was just so pumped on adrenaline and mm. high from birth. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think after birth you just feel like a superhuman. Yeah. Um, so I really struggled to shut off or sleep. But even yeah. if Rory was sleeping, I was really wired. Uh, but it's just crazy. You prep for so long with your pregnancy and you prep for birth and then you're just yeah. handed your baby. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, <laughs> I don't know you or what what yeah. you need in those first few days. It's yeah. sort of you're getting to know each other. Yeah. And But it was really special. I had my family all here staying for her first week yeah. and Liam's family live really close so we had a really big support circle for that yeah. first week yeah awesome yeah nice cool and did you notice um, when your milk came in and did you get any sort of feelings of like the baby blues around that time or what was that experience like yeah um so my milk came in I think day three day two or day three um and I felt really sick like I yeah Liam ended up calling my midwife because I was gray and reclined back on the lazy boy because I just felt like I was going to faint um yeah every yeah just couldn't walk or anything and that went on for like an hour but um mm. that went on for a few days after my milk came in I think it just came in so fast and heavy that it knocked me yeah. Um, but I was really lucky I didn't get mastitis or anything like that. Mm. I was just sort of the fainting episodes. It's funny, I actually don't, like, I don't remember anyone sort of mentioning that before I had Jai, but I remember my milk coming in and I thought to myself, I think I actually might have said to my midwife, like, I'm pretty sure I'm getting mastitis because I felt so sick. I was like, yeah. And I think I like I started to get a bit of like a runny nose, and I had a headache, and my yes. boobs were obviously super sore. And I was like, "Man, this must be mastitis. Surely this isn't my milk coming in." Um, but I, I think that's actually far more common than people talk about. Yeah, because I just quit. I jumped to the conclusion like, "Oh no, I'm because I felt so faint. I was like, I'm I must be bleeding, or uh, I yeah. jumped to do I have an infection or something related yeah. to birth? I didn't yeah. even think about my milk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's so interesting. Cool. And so how did you find, I guess, the next couple of weeks and, and that real adjustment into um, motherhood and just such a such a change from what you're used to? Do you want to talk us through that? Yeah. Um, so I just think, like, postpartum in general is so overlooked. Like, I didn't look into it whatsoever, and I'm mm. a real – 
like to be prepared, like to do all the research type of person. But when you're pregnant, you're just so focused on the pregnancy and the birth is just this big end goal. But in the scheme of things, for me, it was five hours of my whole life. Um, And so I really overlooked the postpartum period. So I wasn't prepped for, like I knew I'd be sore. I knew breastfeeding would be a learning experience, but I don't think you can prep for like what the pain's going to be like or how sort of tricky breastfeeding can be in those first few weeks. And then on top of that, the baby blues, which I feel like makes it sound cute, is not cute. Um, So I did really well for my first week, but I think that's because I had all of my family here and things and Mm. I think I was almost distracted. Like I kind of had to do well because I was surrounded by people that whole time. Yeah. I didn't sort of get that downtime to sort of process what had gone on. Um, and it sort of just felt like a bit of a, a holiday. We were all so high and excited and yeah. um, high on love. And then everyone left after the first week and Liam went back to work. And then it was like, wow like reality hits when it's just you at home with a baby and such a massive life shift. Yeah. Um, Because literally overnight you can go from doing whatever you like to never being able to think about yourself again or, yeah. Um, And I don't know how you can prepare for that. Yeah, I think it's a, it is such a tough, like, it's a tough thing to explain, I think, and that's why it makes it so difficult to, like, prepare for. Um, and everyone's experience with that is really different. So, yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, and I think, so in antenatal, we'd kind of, like, they'd kind of brushed on baby blues. But from what I'd heard about baby blues, it was, like, this day three, you might cry for a day. And then, mm. like, it just sounded, it sounded quite minor. But mine lasted from like week two until I would say like week six or seven. Yeah. Um, And it was literally like anxiety and dread about nothing in particular and just feeling so sad. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you sort of like overcome that or did you overcome it? And how did you manage to, did you talk through those feelings or what was that like? Um, So I think I found it hard to address to start with uh, because I'd done well in the first week. I think everyone Mm. had sort of said, oh, you're doing amazing, you're nailing it. And it it was hard for me Mm. or like embarrassing to turn around and being like, actually, I'm not doing well anymore. Um, And so it took, I think it was my midwife's third postnatal visit and she asked how I was doing and I said oh yeah fine but I don't think I was very convincing Mm. and so once she left that appointment um she messaged and asked like actually how are you doing and I Mm. opened ended up opening up to her and said I'm actually not doing that great um and she was amazing like she'd check in all the time and we had just really good honest conversations Mm. And I think for me, I didn't realize, so I'm normally such a social person. Um, 
sitting at home isn't something that I've ever been good at. Yeah. So I don't think I'd realise that you can actually, like you can still leave the house when you've got a newborn. I kind of thought you just had to sit and let the newborn sleep at home. Yeah. And no no one had really told me, like, go go do something. Um, So she, she was like, you need to get out of the house and... So we put some plans into action and I started just filling my days with things to look forward to yeah. rather than them just being me at home by myself. Um, and that helped so much, even if it was just leaving to, yeah. I don't know, get a takeaway coffee and go for a walk or yeah. um, like we created, I created a coffee group with some girls that I'd done yoga with. So that was like, that was amazing to yeah. talk to other new mums, I think is it's yeah. so valuable when you're going through yeah. that postpartum stage. Yeah. yeah. I think if I'd had a new mum talk to me in those first few weeks, um, like forget all the cute newborn photos, um, <laughs> like how are you actually doing, then I might have opened up sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And how were you going like, with breastfeeding? How did you find that in those first, you know, one to two months? Um, the first, I'd say the first week was hard. Like mm. she was a good feeder, but it was painful. I had, um, just grazed nipples and I would get restless arms every time she fed, which mm. was like the most disgusting feeling. <laughs> um, but I found those silvery cups really good. I wore oh, yeah, them nice. for the first two weeks and so I didn't use any creams at all I just used those and they were amazing yeah um and since then yeah she's been a great feeder she feeds a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome cool and one of the questions that um came up a lot when talking about the fourth trimester was around um sleep deprivation and what those first couple of months yes. or weeks and months are like with a newborn so how did you find that experience and did you find any ways um of trying to cope with that sleep deprivation and what was Rory like as a sleeper when she was a newborn I think she was better as a newborn than she is now oh my god I can yeah I can totally relate to that so she was a real like honestly I thought I had such a dreamy baby she was such a calm little content sleepy newborn and then she hit eight weeks and it was like right I'm awake um yeah and I and I think you think something's wrong that was my Mm. immediate thought like oh my is she sick or is something wrong I mean Mm. it's been yeah she's 12 weeks now so I've come to realize that it's now just Rory Mm. um (laughs) but she wakes up every one point one and a half to like two hours yeah so she's not a great sleeper yeah and how are you managing with that (laughs) um I think women are just pretty incredible and I've just I do just manage um Mm. I still like to get out of the house even if it's just fresh air or a walk um like Mm. I've made a bit of a list for myself about non-negotiables which for me are getting up and having a shower having a Mm -hmm. coffee um and then there's things that are nice to do or things that make me feel good like listening to music or sunshine fresh air a walk 
So I try and do one of those things every day. And then there's luxury things, which I can do if I've got the energy, which are like real cup fillers. Um, And just focusing on, I mean, obviously my days now revolve around Rory, Mm. but also just remembering that my needs are important as well. Yeah. 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 I think it's a really, really important um call out because we're mums but we're still people too right and it's so easy when you're tired to overlook self-care like not not like the pretty self-care like looking good but like just to make sure that I don't know you've had something to eat for the day or you've got some fresh air or just those things that actually can make such a difference to how you feel yeah for sure and how did you go I guess from a physical perspective, obviously you needed stitches from your tearing. So how did you find the recovery from that and how are they now? Yeah. Um, So I found the first two weeks were really painful with the stitches recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, The Depends adult nappies are a life changer. Those were amazing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I love those too. Yeah, and the period undies. Like once oh, yeah. the bleeding subsided, those were really good as well. Right. Um, so that was really painful for the first two weeks. Um, and then I think I bled for about five weeks and ended up getting my period back seven weeks postpartum, <laughs> which is really unfair. No, I, I was similar, actually. Mine wasn't long after that and I felt totally really? ripped off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because I always thought if you're up in the night, you won't get your period yeah, yeah. back if you're breastfeeding. So yeah. yeah, it was a bit of a shock, but yeah. Um, but physically, I've had a really good recovery. Oh, I did dislocate my tailbone during birth, so Ooh, that's something gosh. that <laughs> yeah. So that's something that I'm dealing with at the moment. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, it's all been pretty good recovery. Cool. And if we talk about intimacy post-birth, do you want to take us through um, the first time, I guess, you and your partner decided to try and be intimate and how did you find it? So was it um, painful, I guess, is one of the questions that pop up often. And did you notice that uh, maybe your tearing recovery made a difference or how did you find that? Yeah, so I am now 12 weeks postpartum. And yeah, I think like doctors and you're meant to be cleared at six weeks and it's like, that's such a big pressure. Six weeks, you're meant to be good to go. Six weeks came and I was like, I'm not good to go. Mm. (laughs) Um, And then I got my period at seven weeks and used tampons and found tampons really painful. Mm -hmm. And so we have, like, we haven't done sex yet. Yeah. 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 I just still don't feel ready. And I'm really yeah. lucky that Liam is super supportive to wait until I'm ready. Um, yeah. And I think just finding intimacy in other ways, like it doesn't yeah. need to be sexual, but I feel like we've become a lot closer. Yeah. Um, just supporting each other emotionally mm. through this journey and just, yeah, cuddles and kisses and stuff. Yeah, nice. I think it's so um, nice and actually really important to hear that because there is such a pressure. I even felt that same pressure and it's not like my partner was like, we have to have sex, but it was like, it feels like you need to. 
Yeah, there's this, I don't know, I don't know if it's a societal pressure or if it's because they say after six weeks you're pretty much good to go for everything. But, yeah, um, yeah I think it's really it's really awesome that you've been able to share that because there might be quite a lot of other people out there in a similar kind of boat just wondering, like, how do I have that conversation with my partner or what other things can I do? So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think just being really honest with them about, like, how you're feeling physically. because I can't imagine that it is nice for them if it you know if you're if emotionally you're not ready yeah 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 no I definitely definitely agree with that and I know that you've sort of talked to um the feelings you know you felt like you had a really positive birth and and when you reflect on it now do you still feel the same way and um I guess did that contribute do you think to your postpartum journey at all or how do you feel like that's had an impact yeah so I was really sort of scared of induction um yeah but I wouldn't change anything about my birth I think it was like the most amazing day of my life Yeah. yeah um and the pain was nothing compared to sort of the high you get after you've done like created and birthed to human. Um, and I think that might have actually had something to do with feeling sad postnatally mm. because I was just so high after having Rory. Like I just couldn't stop thinking about how amazing birth was and I found yeah. it really hard to shut off from that and be present. Mm. Um, and it was almost like I mourned that day because it was just yeah. such a good day that I was like, wow, I'm never going to relive that again. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. I think um, it's such a, that postpartum period is just such a a whirlwind. And yeah, I I think probably there'll be people out there that can, can relate to that too, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And is there anything else that you want to cover that you feel like we haven't included? I just think with, pregnancy that postpartum should be something that's looked at like like postpartum emotions should be looked at like postpartum bleeding something that is expected and talked about really frankly so that it's never something that you feel alone in yeah and also I found that as soon as I started being open with how I felt especially with other mums it was like wow like this is like I'm definitely not alone mm. in these feelings and it is so common yeah to have that um it's just that real identity shift I think yeah and just trying to figure out where you sit in life um mm. as well as being a mum now yeah yeah for sure I think that's um a huge huge part of postpartum that yeah it's it can be quite um unexpected that identity shift and change so for sure I think that's really really important yeah and if you could like if I could go back I would look at having steps in place and support in place um sort of having a bit of a toolbox of tools for myself Mm. that if things if I did find that I was struggling things that I could quickly look on look to and refer to um when you're not in that sort of dark cloud where you're just like I don't know how to help myself 
And so after that first week where I was surrounded by family and you've got um, visitors coming, friends and extended family and just all this love and support um, to going back to reality, that was like quite a stark contrast. And my mum ended up getting quite sick when Rory was eight days old and ended up in Tauranga Hospital, so five hours away from where we are. Uh, she was there for five weeks. So that was really hard as well because I think when you have a baby, you're, there's sort of someone that looks after you as the mum. And for me, that was my mum. Um, she was the one that I didn't mind if she was doing our washing or cleaning our house and sort of all those things like that. Um, so without her support, I struggled with that a bit as well. But I was so lucky to have such a special relationship with my midwife. And I feel like in mum's absence, my midwife sort of became that person for me. And those weekly visits became visits where it felt like I was being acknowledged and seen and heard because it can be quite easy to feel sort of in the background when you've got a new baby because everyone is just so focused on this beautiful baby as they should be. Like it's really special for them as well. Um, but it's, it's so important to have that one person who is going to look out for you too. I think it can be really hard to be honest about the fourth trimester as well. Um, it can almost feel like you're being ungrateful. Like Obviously, I wanted Rory for such a long time and we tried so hard to get her um, that when she arrived, I just expected things to be magical. Um, and that's kind of, I knew it was going to be hard, but I just kind of didn't understand why or how. Um, and it can feel like you don't love or others think that you're not going to love your baby if you talk negatively about your experience. But honestly, I would do the fourth trimester a hundred times over, um, to have another Rory. It's been such a special time as well as being hard. Yeah, I think that's really good advice um, and a bit of insight into the fourth trimester. So thank you. And a huge thank you, Bianca, for coming on the podcast and sharing your journey with us. I've loved talking to you. I think you've shared some really interesting things about your story. And I know there'll be lots of other people out there that relate as well. So yeah, just a huge thank you. A huge thank you for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I hope that you have enjoyed it. I will, as always, be bringing you another special episode next week, so make sure that you stay tuned. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.